Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. Man, we've had a phenomenal worship time this morning, and I hope that in, in your home you've been able to experience what we've experienced here. And I have to be honest with you, this week has been a phenomenal week for me anyway because um, Jana kind of cleared my calendar, and uh, I had a morning where, I mean, it was the most phenomenal worship time. It was just incredible. I know it's hard to believe, but I cried. I cried like a baby. I cried like a baby most of the morning, it seemed like. And, and it, it was like God just kept you know, showing up and, and like these waves of emotion. And it was the most incredible, phenomenal, sweet experience. And I sat there and thought, in spite of all the chaos that's going on in the world right now, in spite of all the fear that a lot of people are experiencing, here I am, and I feel nothing but incredible peace. And I hope, I hope that, that during all this chaos, during all of this difficulty of trying to figure out what to do or what you can't do, and you're trying to replace other things, that maybe you can find some time just to be with Jesus. Maybe that's been kind of what God's been doing through all of this for most of us. It's just given us more time to spend with him, to get closer to him, to understand who he is, to have those moments when you're with him and, and, and you know that he's real and you feel his presence. It is just so, so sweet that he can pull us in closer, close to his heart. I, I, used, to, I used to say a lot... Um, that I wanted, I wanted to be able to sit up in his lap. And I would picture myself at times just crawling up into the lap of Jesus. And, and I, would, I would always close my eyes and I would think, I want to be so close to Jesus that I can feel his breath on my face. And I know you think I'm crazy, but I think it's possible to experience that. I hope you've had a great morning. So the Gospels are full of people's face-to-face encounters with Jesus. And, and it's amazing, and I used to dream about what that would be like for me if I were alive when Jesus were alive years ago, what it would have been like to have had that face-to-face encounter with him because he was amazing. He loved people, and he, and he healed people, and he confronted people. There were times, absolutely, when, when Jesus could be very confrontational and up in your face, not like just about sin, but about arrogance, about pride, and those kinds of things that irritated him so much. And then he restored. And so he, he loved and he healed and he confronted people when he was alive on planet earth. But, but the risen, resurrected Jesus also came face to face with people. And when that happened, everything changed. Well, of course it did. If a man after three days dead speaks to you face to face, I'm pretty sure that that's going to bring a change to your life, right? Somebody that you saw. What if you had, had been there the day that he was crucified? What if you had seen him beaten? What if you'd seen him 
put on the cross? What if you had watched as they dropped his body nailed to that cross into a hole? And then all of a sudden, three days later, you see him alive? Wow. That would have been amazing, wouldn't it? There's chances are really good, I think, that there's someone that is out there this morning listening, and you're a doubter. I mean, bottom line, let's just be real, you're a doubter. In fact, you can't even figure out why you're watching this right now. It really makes no sense. Nobody invited you. There's no friends who were somehow, you know, bumbling your way through the internet, and you, you found this site, and you're, and you're listening, and you're watching, and you've been drawn in, and you don't even know why. And you're a doubter. I just want you to know that we completely understand. I've been a doubter, too. I have been a doubter. I have been, doubt, I have been a doubter. And then there have been times when it, it, was, it was beyond doubting. It's not that I didn't doubt, but I was just angry. Just angry at God that he didn't do things the way I thought that he should do. So then I wanted to doubt whether he existed at all. So if that's you, I just want you to know that we understand. In fact, the, the fact that you're watching this service this morning says that at least you're kicking the tires of Christianity. At least there's an interest. Something's drawing you in right now. And I bet if you came face to face with Jesus this morning, and you're thinking like, wow, man, no way. What have you been smoking? You're crazy. If you're thinking that I could come face to face with, a, with, with Jesus, but maybe if you just hang on for a few minutes, maybe you'll experience something you've never experienced before in your life. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but the truth be told, your faith needs a little bit of resurrecting. You believed there was that time when you absolutely heard the gospel, you believed the gospel, you were baptized, but something is amiss. And maybe you've kind of lost that fire that you once had. And maybe you've lost that fire because you're going through the fire. This is a difficult time, there's no doubt about that. And Christians are confused. Some Christians are confused. Some Christians are doubting. Some, some Christians are questioning. And their fire has kind of begun to dwindle. Hurt and pain, and loss. Let's be honest. They can cause you to doubt. And if that's you, then today's going to be a great day for you. Today we're going to look at the story of Mary Magdalene, and we're going to look at her face-to-face -face encounter with the resurrected Jesus. It's an amazing story. First, let's get a little bit of background on Mary. Mary Magdalene was a Jewish woman from the little fishing town of, anybody, anybody know? Magna, Magdala. So she, she's named after her birth town. Isn't that a hoot? Her name, I thought, was very interesting. Her name is mentioned like 12 times in the Gospels. Now, that might not be a big deal to you, but if you'll do a little research, her name is mentioned more than most of the apostles, which is crazy. It's crazy in a culture where women had no rights, where women were considered to be lower than the dogs, and yet this woman's name is mentioned more than some of the men that were the closest to Jesus. Mark and Luke tell us that Mary was um, one of several women that was actually healed, cured, depends on, I guess, what, uh, what word you want to use, of evil spirits and diseases. So Mary is linked to physical or psychological, some type of psychological illness as a cause of this demon possession. In fact, Luke 8 gives us account of her healing. Here's what it says. Soon after Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, he took 12 disciples with him, along with some women who were cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene 
from whom he cast out seven demons. Seven demons, like that's wild. I mean, like seven, I don't know a whole lot. I, I don't know that uh, I've ever known anybody personally that was possessed by a demon, but to know that there were seven just sounds like uh, a lot to me. Joanna, the wife of, of Cusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna. This is not old Susanna. Oh, won't you? That's not different, different Susanna. And many others were contributing from their own financial resources to support Jesus and his disciples. It's an interesting to me because one of the commentators, what they said was that she was a wealthy woman. She was a wealthy woman because she was making this financial contribution to Jesus. And so she was crazy and rich, or maybe she was just crazy rich. With that background, let's jump into our text for today, which is John 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So here's Mary. A healed, wealthy, super faithful follower of Jesus. And early on Sunday morning, she's headed to the tomb. Now, if, if you've been in church for a while, you probably want to raise your hand right now, right? I know, why, I know why she went. I know why she went. I bet I know why she went. Because Jesus, like, told the disciples and those people that were following him, he told them on more than one occasion what would happen. He said, I'm going to die. I'll be crucified. But on the third day, I will rise again. And so you're probably thinking that Mary is headed to the tomb that Sunday morning to see the evidence of the resurrection. Well, you're right. Jesus did tell his disciples on more than one occasion that he would die and that he would be raised from the dead. For example, Mark chapter 8 says it this way. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. And then again in Mark chapter 10, just two chapters later, he tells them again. He says, listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law, and they will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. But Jesus goes further this time. He says they'll mock him. They'll spit on him. They'll flog him with a whip. They'll kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So you would just think, right? You would just think that Mary on this early Easter Sunday morning is headed to the tomb because she remembers the teachings of Jesus. And she remembered that on the third day that he said that these things would happen. Maybe she reflected back on the crucifixion and she said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He told us. He told us about being beat with a whip. Yeah, yeah, he told us about being crucified. But he also told us about being raised on the third day. You would think that that would be, have been the case, but it wasn't. So she ran, she found Simon and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So she heard Jesus on more than one occasion say that he would be crucified, that he, he would be raised from the dead, but when she sees this stone is rolled away, the first conclusion that she draws is that somebody has stolen the body. The resurrection never occurs to her. And I just think that's kind of strange. I think it's kind of strange because, I mean, she's sold out to Jesus. This is not just any 
everybody that was following Jesus at the time. There were crowds that followed Jesus, and they wanted to be near Jesus. When Jesus would heal people, they wanted to, to be near. They wanted to, to maybe be healed themselves, or they had a family member that maybe had been healed. But when Jesus began to talk about things like discipleship and the cost of discipleship, the high cost of following him, then the crowds withdrew, but not this lady. Well, of course she followed Jesus. I mean, he had cast demons out of her seven, remember? And she was so sold out to Jesus that she literally was given of her finances. She was there when he was dying on the cross while most of his disciples ran in fear. So why didn't she believe that he had been resurrected? What's the problem? Well, according to the great theologian N.T. Wright, in his book entitled The Resurrection of the Son of God, he says this, nobody, absolutely nobody, Jew, Greek, or Roman, believed that God would raise an individual from the dead in the midst of human history. What's more, Jews were the last to believe that a human being could be the Son of God who should be worshipped. So in spite of the fact that she had walked with Jesus, in spite of the fact that she had been healed by Jesus, in spite of the fact that she had sat under the teachings of Jesus for a couple of years, in spite of that, she couldn't quite wrap her brain around the resurrection. She was blinded by her traditional teaching. And i got to be honest, that hit me like a ton of bricks. In spite of the fact of everything that she had been able to see, she watched Jesus heal other people. She, seen, she had seen miracles. She had listened to Jesus teach, and she had heard the words of Jesus say, here's what they're going to do to me. But everything that she had been taught her whole life blinded her from being able to think through to rationalize the teachings of Jesus to be able to put it in action and to think that he would be alive I have to be honest with you I've thought about this a lot in the last few weeks as I've studied this passage and I've thought really I think I'd have to go all the way back till I was probably 19, 20 years old and I think that what I've been doing since I first really surrendered my life to Jesus is I've been unlearning so much that I had been taught my whole life. I think that one of the things that I learned early on that was causing me to not be able to get as close to Jesus, remember I want to crawl up in his lap, I want to, I want to feel his breath on my face, I want to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is it's, it's this traditional stuff that I, that I was taught not by bad people. But it's not truth. Now, if you're out there thinking, so you're putting down traditional church. No, not at all. I'm not putting down traditional church. What I'm putting down, what I'm challenging you with this morning is to understand what you believe and to know what you believe is based in Scripture, not just based on what somebody has taught you your whole life. So Mary goes running to, 
two of Jesus' disciples, and she tells them what she saw. And they ran to the tomb, and they found everything that she said to be true. And guess what? Neither one of them thought for a second that this was the resurrection that Jesus spoke of earlier. So it's not just that Mary can't process it. The two of the disciples, maybe everything that they had been taught as from, from, from uh, the earliest that they could remember, all of these teachings, all of their whole life was so much in the forefront that they never dreamed, even though he said that he would be raised from the dead, they couldn't process it. The two disciples go home, but Mary, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Now, I don't know about you. Here's what I wrote. Did she lose her mind again? That's what I wrote. That's probably not the nicest thing in the world to say, but it's what I thought. I thought, no, wait, wait. Now, hang on just a second. It's not like she was a casual observer. She was a follower of Jesus. She was sold out to Jesus. Jesus, she had been healed by Jesus. She was making a financial contribution to his ministry. She was sold out to Jesus. She she watched as they beat him. She watched as they crucified him. And now he's standing right in front of her. And she misses it. So Jesus says, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? It says she thought he was the gardener. The gardener? Really? This is Jesus like the Son of God, God in the flesh, and you're thinking he's the gardener? Really? Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, please tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. Hmm. Here's the kicker. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which in Hebrew is teacher. It's amazing, isn't it? So she, she didn't believe. She couldn't see. She couldn't believe until Jesus actually called her by her name. So I guess you could say that belief in Jesus does not come natural to anybody. Even someone who had had seven demons cast out of her. There's actually a fancy name for this. Theologians call it inability, which I think is a funny name. Different theological traditions have uh, different views to which we have the ability to respond to God. But they all agree, they all agree, all different variations of this. But they all agree that we cannot do it on our own. All the compelling evidence for faith can be laid out flawlessly. And it's clear as a bell, but you can still miss it, just like Mary. Mary is staring at an empty tomb. Jesus is standing right in front of her. 
And she doesn't get it. Until he calls her by her name. She was agitated. She was panicking. She was in tears. And not able to see Jesus right in front of her until Jesus called her by her name. And he just said, he just said Mary. I guess I'm thinking about uh, some of the stuff that I was taught as a kid. It would seem like that there would be more to it than that. Or how did he say Mary? Mary. I mean, you think there would be a reprimand, right? You would think there would be something. That's, that's what I grew up thinking. That's the way God would relate to us is that Mary, how could you possibly miss it? That there would be some kind of, of reprimand, a reprimand for her, for, for like forgetting. And you would think that maybe next he would say, so what were you doing the day that I taught on the resurrection? Mary, were you sleeping? I mean, I know that you'd stayed out late the night before, so were you, were you asleep? Were you not paying any attention? I can hear all of those things in my head is probably coming from some Sunday school teacher. And he could have done all that, but he just said, Mary. He just called her by her name. She would never have known that it was Jesus until he called her by her name. She could have passed him on the street in town. Every day, she would have never known that it was Jesus until Jesus calls her by her name. Real faith is personal. Her faith comes by grace and she doesn't literally do anything to earn it. So Mary becomes the very first Christian. And don't you think that's a hoot? Really, in this culture, women had no rights. And then this woman? I mean, really? I mean, go ahead, go home, Google Mary Magdalene. There's all kind of stories out there. Most people believe that she was a harlot. I'm not exactly sure where that came from. It didn't come from Luke 8. It doesn't come from the description. But we know that she had at least seven demons cast out of her. She was, uh, you know, had some, kind, some type of psychological distress, spiritual distress. God could have chose anybody. She's the very first Christian. How do you become a Christian? It's to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but it's more than that, right? There's more to it. It's more than just to believe that Jesus was God's Son. It's to believe that he died on the cross, and that on the the cross he paid the penalty for our sin. And it is to believe that on the third day he's been raised from the dead, and it's to believe that Jesus is alive. Mary is the very first one. To put all those pieces together. It's not Peter. It's not any of the disciples. It's not any of the professionals that were following Jesus. It's one of his supporters. It's one of his followers. It's one of his volunteers. And it's all because Jesus called her by her name. So maybe right now, Jesus is standing right in front of you. And while you may not physically see him, the truth of it is, is that you know he's there. Just like, just like for me this week, when I was up in my office and it was just 
it was just me and and I was worshiping and I was singing and it was awful but I was having a good time and, and, and I knew that he was, he was with me he was present I could feel his presence a few minutes ago when, when we were worshiping and I thought it I thought man we're here in an empty room and, and you wouldn't think that in an empty room that you would experience what we experience but, but you can it's, you know why? because God meets us we don't go to God God comes to us it's amazing to me so right there on your couch, right there, sitting in the bed, on your back porch with that cup of coffee, right now you're experiencing the presence of God, and you know it. If you sense His overwhelming presence, and right now you're just ready to ask for His forgiveness, and you're ready to, just like Mary, to fully surrender your life to Him, I want you to pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you would, you would say, Heavenly Father, I cannot physically see you, but I can feel your overwhelming presence with me right now. Thank you for coming to me, for seeking me out. Thank you for loving me enough to go to the cross and shed your blood and pay the price for my sin. And I believe in the resurrection because I feel your presence with me right now. And to the best of my ability, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and I'm surrendering my life to you. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's been a while since you felt his presence. Maybe you've just been too busy. Maybe there were things with the kids. Running, taking them to and from. Maybe life was at such a pace that you didn't mean to crowd him out of your life. He's just been crowded out. Maybe he's been standing right in front of you the whole time. And maybe like Mary, you just haven't seen him. So right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you just bow your head and say, God, give me the ability to see. Help me to feel your presence. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you For all these years, God, the thing that, that excites me the most is just being with you. You know, Lord, just like this week, it was just a sweet morning. And I, and I played worship song after worship song, and it seemed like that with every song, it just got sweeter and richer and thicker in the room. And I thought, you know what? I, I'm caught up on my studying. And I, rem I remember, Lord, even starting to feel guilty that I should be doing something. And you just reminded me that there was nothing more important for me to do than to be with you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I don't take those moments for granted. The sweetness of your presence. 
God, to be loved by you, to be drawn in by you, to be able to crawl up into your lap and to feel your loving arms around me, God, and to be so close that I can feel your breath on my face. Lord, that's what we long for. We long for you, your presence. We love you. We love you because you love us. It's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. You don't want to miss next week.